All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Um, first Sunday of the new year. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's uh, bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the life that you've called us into, a life of love, a life of discipleship, a life of holiness. And we pray that you would cause us to grow, uh, cause us to help one another to grow, and uh, that you'd use this study of uh, discipleship in our lives to cause us to be more faithful uh, disciples of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, this school year, we're doing discipleship, and uh, I've started my Bible reading, um, and I'm starting in Old Testament and also the beginning in the New Testament. And so I came across a verse that's just a good kind of... um, paradigm-setting verse for uh, discipleship, Romans chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, and uh, verse 18, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You get that very early in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and that pretty much traces out the whole trajectory of discipleship. It's following Christ. And there's a lot to that. Um, but it's good to see it in the full trajectory because actually the uh, completion of the life of discipleship is that you'd be able to make another disciple, that you'd be a fisher of men, strange as that might sound uh, to you. And so it's good to kind of see the whole thing traced out in, a, in just a few simple words. The Lord did that uh, for the disciples. Of course, he was going to introduce them to it little by little, but he kind of traced it out all at once to... Uh, to uh, confront them with that and to call him to uh, call them to follow him. So this morning, what I want to do is um, look at one aspect of the life of discipleship, one thing that's within that circle. And here it is. Are you ready for it? It is um, submission to human authority. Okay, submission to human authority. Now, why would I mention that as part of discipleship? Well, it's a pretty big deal. Um, in the way that the um, New Testament traces out the responsibilities of the Christian life or the life of discipleship or the spirit-filled life. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what you think about. The first thing you think about the spirit-filled life um, is submission to authority, the first, to human authorities, one of the first things that you think about. Well, that would be someone really filled with the Holy Spirit, really controlled by the Holy Spirit, someone submitting to um, human authorities. It might not be the first thing you think of, I don't know, but uh, when Scripture talks about the Spirit-filled life, it, it majors on this aspect of being Spirit-filled, and it's just one aspect of, of it. But uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual Psalms, so on, uh, and, it's, and says, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So submission, that's sub- subjection. The church should be subject in all the ways that are appropriate. And then it starts tracing out those ways. Wives, being subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. A lot on that for wives and also for husbands. Um, uh, and then uh, children. Obey your parents. That's another way of being subject as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for the children too. Slaves. Lots of slaves uh, in New Testament Christians. Be obedient to those who are your masters. That's another um, 
that's another way of being um, submissive. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 is kind of the parallel passage. It talks about letting the word of Christ dwell richly and what comes out of that. And it's really similar to Ephesians. It's kind of parallel to Ephesians at that point because it starts talking about submission. It talks about wives submitting to husbands, um, I think children to parents, and certainly slaves to masters. There's a big section on that because there were slaves that were in Colossae. But even uh, Onesimus was a, a slave who li- lived in uh, Colossae. Okay, First um, Peter chapter 2 is a letter to encourage the churches to get even more serious about living the Christian life because of persecution coming. And it says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles in First uh, Peter 2, verse 12. And what follows that? A big, long explanation of what it means to submit to human authorities. And that's what it means to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as one authority or governors as sent by him. So it talks about submission to the government and then servants. Be submissive to your masters. Talks about how um, this follows Christ's example and submitting to the will of God, even uh, to the cross. And, um, and then in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. And then the final one, Romans. It's Paul's masterpiece. It's about the gospel. It's about how a person is saved. You get to chapter 12, and it talks about presenting your life as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. Traces out in brief in chapters 12 and 13 what that would involve, the practical things that it involves, the responsibilities that we have. And it talks about submitting, submitting to uh, the government in this case. Governing authorities, Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established from uh, God. Okay, so um, submission, really important. Submission to human authority, the appropriate human authorities, is a really important part of discipleship. A disciple is someone who's doing that, uh, who is submitting to human authorities. Okay. Little thought experiment here. I'd like you to um, think of a first-century Christian, um, a female, in this case. Um, she's living, of course, in Colossians. We're going through Colossians on uh, Sunday morning in, in Colossae, um, where slaves are addressed uh, in detail in the letter to uh, Colossians. Um, she was saved at a very early age. And like a lot of Christians, um, at the time of the New Testament, she's a slave. Okay, And, and let's say she spends her whole life um, as a slave. I don't know how common that was. But uh, let's say that's true for her. And let's say she's married on her 18th birthday or whatever transition you want for where she goes from being under her parents' authority in some sense to being under her husband's authority as an, as an adult um, in that sense. So um, I don't know if you've counted there. But that's uh, four different authorities that she's under at, at all times in her life. Um, she's a slave, so she's under the authority of a master at all times in her life. She is a subject of Rome, of the, or the Roman Empire, and of the local authorities as well. So she's a, she's a citizen. That's a, that's a second realm of authority. What's the third one? Well, she goes to church. She's a Christian. She was saved at an early age, so she's got elders. And they're an authority. We didn't read uh, uh, one of those, but um, 
Hebrews 13 verse 17 talks about the responsibility to submit to the leadership of elders as well. Okay, so that's three. And then the fourth, am I counting right, is, is a family authority. She's under the authority of her parents as a child, even, even as a young person. Um, and then also as a wife, she's under the authority of her husband. So the, it's five altogether, but the four at a time, because the parents' authority then for her, um, goes into, uh, husband's authority, um, as well. Um, it's conceivable that all four authorities might command her to do something at the same time, go to a certain place, let's say, I'm just using that, um, as an example. And none of them would be sinful. None of the places that all four authorities at the same time, four different places that they're commanding her by their authority to go at different times. How should she decide what to do? If she obeys one, goes one place, she's disobeying the other three. And um, the Bible doesn't give a hierarchy of those four different authorities. You know, that this one always trumps the other one or that sort of thing. In fact, it just uses the same word, a command, submit, the same command, actually, for all five of those um, authorities. And so in a situation like that, you have to use wisdom. You have to use wisdom to decide um, which of those authorities to obey, or none of them, maybe. Um, and that's a good thing that you have to use wisdom. And I think the way in which you'd use wisdom is to understand what the scope of those God-given authorities um, are and to understand that um, according to scripture, God has not um, set up life so that it's all under one authority. In fact, if you add all those different authorities together, I still don't think it covers all of life, um, all of them uh, together. And so um, I think the important thing is to say, well, well, what am I, you know, actually this is easier easier done than talked about in the abstract. You know, if you're on, on the clock, you know you're under your boss's authority um, at that time. And sometimes there can be a conflict between, you know, I've heard my husband told me to do this and my boss told me to do this, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, so you have to say, well, whose authority extends uh, to what? And I'm talking, I'm talking, of course, in matters where it's not, there's not sin involved because where there's sin involved, that's easy. Um, you're not to sin no matter what uh, any uh, authority uh, uh, says. So um, in a fallen world, because we're talking about human authorities, not only do authorities often sometimes make poor decisions within the scope of their authority, in which case if they're not commanding sin, you're commanded to obey. That's what the submission is for when you think it's a poor decision and um, it's within the scope of their uh, authority. But also in a fallen world, um, authorities tend to overstep their bounds, tend to want to command things that are outside of the scope of the authority that God has given them, in which case you need not obey. Um, it's um, You have to use wisdom um, for that. However, that being said, all of that being said, the issue of submission is important to God. It's so important that he commands obedience. So if you don't have any place in your theology for being commanded something, that's within the scope of the uh, human authority. You disagree. It's not sin, but it's something that you um, disagree with. Um, and you have to submit 
the Bible tells you to submit. It's a sin not to submit in that you need to make room for that in your uh, theology because that's what submission actually is. It's when you when you don't agree. It's when um, you don't want to do it. Okay, my point uh, this morning is is not to trace out exactly where the scope of those uh, different authorities is, although I think some of the things I'm going to say could be helpful um, if you're trying to do that. Um, let me ask this question for you, back to our girl or lady uh, who's a Christian in the first century. Why has God put so much human authority in her life? Um, four different kinds throughout her entire um, life. Um, to, to be her authority in matters that are not sinful, okay, cause, cause they're not to, none of them are supposed to command sin for her, but in, in matters not sinful, um, there's four different authorities at all times in her life, and she has an obligation to obey them. If, if they command something within the scope of their authority in a matter that is not sinful, it's, there's a clear command in scripture for that for each one of them to submit to them. So, so here's my question. It's kind of a thinking question. And it's, it's for you to actually answer. Um, so uh, why? Why did God fill her life with so much human authority? Protection. Okay. Protection from? From uh, harm. Harm. Okay. Okay. That's certainly part of it. Jesus says in what, John 15 or so, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So there's some of that maybe learning. Okay. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's help. We're, we're to submit to God's authority. Right. So this is kind of like a practice right. submitting to the authority of um, other humans. Okay. For order. For order. Good. Good. Yeah, God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. Okay. Good. Good. I think all of those, there's some, um, there's, there's some, um, truth to all of, um, those. Let me give you, um, three different possible answers to that question. And I think there's an element of truth in each of these, but I think the third is sort of the deepest, um, one. Um, one is to give her many opportunities to exercise self-denial. That's why she's got so many um, authorities in her life. And I think there's probably a little bit of truth in that. I don't think that's the ultimate um, purpose. A second is, a second reason why God might have put so much authority in her life is to take responsibility for making decisions out of her hands and put it in the hands of people who are more capable of making wise decisions. Okay, that could be a reason um, for it. More capable than she is, so you're taking your responsibility out of her hands. She's under an authority, and that's going to help. That's going to. The result of that is she's going to make uh, better um, decisions. And then a third reason, and I'm going to kind of emphasize this um, this morning. It's so that in all those different relationships, um, um, that she would be able to do more than she could do ever do alone as part of a team, as part of a team. And that that's important to God. And that's why he's put her 
um, under authorities. It means he wants her to be working with a team of people who are all on the same page, all moving in the same direction in certain in those areas of her life. Okay, let me let me kind of go through those three reasons again and say a little bit um, about them. Um, is she under so much authority to give her many opportunities to exercise self-denial? Well, yes, there's probably there's probably an element of truth. I'm sure there's an element of truth in that. Every part of the Christian life is a training ground. Um, and so there's an element of truth. Um, discipleship involves self-denial. Okay. And uh, submitting to human authority is a, is a practice um, in that. But I think if, I don't think that's the whole thing. I don't think that's the whole purpose of being put under authority is to say, oh, okay, I'm under an authority in this area. So that means I'm going to have a painful exercise in not getting what I want. And the pain is the point. Uh, no pain, no gain. And um, this is the point. I think if that's all you're thinking about, if you're thinking about submission, you've lost the thread a little bit about what, why God has put, um, why submission to human authorities is um, important to him. Um, if you want to learn self-denial, you can turn down your thermostat, take a cold shower, and sleep on the floor. Um, no blankets at all. And um, you'd have an exercise in self-denial. You would not be any holier um, for uh, doing that. And so I think God's vision for submission to human authority, yes, does involve that. Um, self-denial as a training ground. We all are called to submit um, in certain ways. Um, it's part of all of our lives to submit, and it is a training ground for uh, self-discipline, but I don't think that's the full um, purpose um, of that. Um, okay, the second one, the second possible reason, to take responsibility for making good decisions out of the hands of most people and putting in the hands of people more capable of making good decisions um, for them. Um, sometimes, yes. Sometimes, yes. I think that sometimes, yes, that's the point. Um, um, of the five different kinds of uh, authorities that we considered, it is certainly the point of one of them, and maybe the point of a second one, too. But I don't think it's the point of uh, all of them. Um For life, you need wisdom, and that wisdom is found especially in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is addressed to individuals. It's not addressed to um, authorities. Um, and so God has made wisdom this way, is that each person is responsible for being wise, for making um, uh, uh, decisions. And um, wisdom is actually responsive to individual situations. So it's not the kind of thing where an authority has one size fits all for everybody and that's it. And that's the, the best, um, that's the way decisions should be made. Um, that um, view of life is, is where um, the expert authorities figure out everything for everyone else and, and tell everyone how it's going to be because ordinary people aren't able to figure out um, life or um, wisdom. Um, that's not the way God has set up wisdom. That's a way that values uniformity. You're suspicious of anybody who's not uniform not doing um, what the authorities have decided, um, whereas the Lord has set up uh, wisdom in such a way that actually differences are valued. Each situation is different. That's why you need wisdom for each uh, situation. And um, P 
people are different. People shouldn't be valued for their uniformity, but actually for their difference, things that they, they bring uh, that are, are different uh, from others, like the gifts of the Spirit, where uh, those things are, are, are different. Um, it is true that people, including you, including me, are not good at making decisions alone, are not making good at decision making decisions all by themselves. Um, and Proverbs talks about this. And let me read some of the Proverbs um, that talk about this. Proverbs 28 and verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 26 verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Okay, so you do need help to make um, decisions and to be wise. Because there's a way that seems right to a man that's end is the way of death. Um, but the, the, the solution for that problem is not authority. The solution for that problem, and Proverbs is very clear on this, is counsel. And counsel is different from authority. So um, Proverbs chapter 12 Verse um, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel, counsel. Okay, so the, the solution to uh, just thinking you know best and having everything uh, right in your own eyes um, is not to have an authority who tells you what to do, but it's to get counsel. It's to get counsel from others. Proverbs chapter 15 Verse um, 22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs, in fact, a, a multiplicity of counsel is the solution for that problem. And multiplicity, meaning probably the counselors are not all going to be saying the same thing. They're going to be saying different things, and you're going to take the best of each one of them and uh, combine them. Proverbs 24, verse 6, for by wise guidance, you will wage war and in abundance of counselors there is um, uh, victory. Um, so authority is really for it's really for things that you're doing together with other people to put you on the same page with other people. Um, counsel is for something that you're doing individually because in the in the things that you're doing individually, you're the one responsible before the Lord for making that um, decision. And so I think this is something, it's, it's misunderstood when people seek counsel. Um, I think a lot of times when people seek counsel, they're seeking to outsource responsibility. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do in this situation, and, and it's, it's something where it's not, um, there's not something that's automatically sinful. I need wisdom uh, for this. So I'm going to go to a counselor, and the counselor is going to be responsible to make this decision, not me. You know, and so when I make the decision, I'm going to say, well, I'm doing this because my counselor told me to do this. He's responsible for it. No, no, the counselor's not responsible. The counselor's responsible for giving you a counsel. You're responsible for uh, the decision. And so the, the problem with uh, people needing help <laughs> to be wise from other people, they don't need um, authority to make individual decisions, but they need counsel. And the counsel doesn't take authority from you. It just gives you, <laughs> I, I tell people this when I give them uh, counsel, you know, I'm giving you counsel. Um, 
sort of take the best of it. Um, you're the one who's responsible before the Lord for um, this uh, decision, and, and certainly for someone who's who's um, coming to me with an individual decision. Authority um, is really for things that people are doing together to put them on the same uh, page. Counsel is for making individual wise um, decisions. Um, a multitude of counselors is also not a vote. You know, I got counsel from 10 people and 70% of them told me this and 30% told me this. So I'm going to, I'm going to, the majority is right. No, you have to, you have to listen. It may be the minority that's right of people that you seek counsel and you're responsible for uh, getting the counsel and making a good decision um, before the Lord. And that means when you ask for counsel, um, the counsel is not just do this, but it's always why, always why, because because you're the one who's going to have to make uh, the decision um, uh, to do it. So you're not looking to outsource responsibility to someone else when you're looking for uh, a counsel. So should you ask the authorities in your life for counsel? Yes, I think that's probably a good idea. But if you're asking them for counsel about something that is individual that pertains um, to you, they're acting not as authorities but as counselors, which is which is uh, a different uh, thing. It's a different uh, thing. They're not going to be saying, "Yes, uh, I command you to do this," and the Lord tells you that you need to obey my um, my my authority. Uh, they're going to be telling you uh, counsel uh, for that. Um, so authority is not for helping you make better individual decisions. Counsel is. Counsel is. And you do need help from other people uh, for that, but not authorities. You need um, counselors. Okay, so that was the second, if you're lost, that was the, the second possible reason for the Lord putting so much authority, um, so many layers of authority um, in our lives. I'm, I'm using this... Uh, woman in the first century who, who lives and dies as a slave as someone who has um, sort of the maximum amount of authority um, in their lives and asking why did the Lord put so much authority in her life is it to help her make better decisions so that more capable people can make decisions uh, for her was that uh, God's purpose in putting so many authorities in her life and um, I think um, in some cases, yes, I'll talk about that because we'll go through all five different kinds of authority. But I think the ultimate reason why the Lord puts um, authority in your life and why authority is important uh, for you is actually the third reason that we considered. Where is it? Um, the third reason that we considered, it's so that you might be able to do more than you could do alone as part of a team who's all following the same direction and all coordinated together by human leadership, human leadership. And that is the purpose of, uh, of um, authority, of human uh, authority and why God has given human beings authorities for group projects. It's for everybody to be on the same page for a task that's important to the Lord and important to the Lord for people to be doing um, together. I was reminded of the wisdom that I heard in, uh, Batman, in this case, um, uh, who said, uh, to succeed against your enemy, you have to convince them that you're more than just a man. Okay, and and he's talking about um, how he uses his powers, his utility belt or whatever, to, to make the enemy think he's everywhere. He's more than just 
uh, one person. Um, for us, we do that by being part of a team, part of a team uh, that's accomplishing something uh, together. So if you've lost your vision for submission, if it kind of comes across to you as something that you think is uh, pointless, um, it may be because you've lost your vision for what God says should be accomplished together with others. Because that's really the point of um, submission is um, is that. Um, and so I think that's kind of where I'm going is I think a submission is really for the purpose of people doing difficult things together in groups. And you need an authority for that. You need leadership for that, not just everybody doing um, what they think is best. Uh, for that, you need to be coordinated in leadership for difficult tasks that God has called us to, that we can't accomplish alone. And so that is really the purpose of submission. That's why God has put this this girl, this lady, uh, that we're thinking about under so many different kinds of authorities because she's called to accomplish things that are difficult together with other people. And uh, that's why God has put at least most of those authorities in her life. And uh, one thing that, that that means is that good leaders make good followers because they understand that the perfect should not be the enemy of the good. Remember the centurion that the Lord um, met and um, talked to about his authority over disease. And uh, the centurion understood that. He understood it by faith, but he also understood it uh, because he understood authority. He goes, I'm, I'm a person under authority. I say to this person, go, and he goes, um, and so because I understand authority, I under, also understand your authority and what it's like to be under your authority um, as well. And the Lord um, gave him a, a compliment for his faith. He commended him for his faith as one who understood authority. He was a good leader. He was also good at submitting to um, uh, authority. So um, a good leader is a, makes a, a great follower as well. Because he understands the goal and he understands that uh, the perfect should not be the enemy of the good. In other words, um, I've got the perfect idea. It's perfect for me. Um, or maybe I think it's perfect for everyone, actually. But I'm not the one who God has put in charge. And so I need, as long as I'm not being told to sin, I need to follow what the leadership is telling me uh, to do. Um for the purpose of um, the goal that we're all seeking to accomplish um, together. So why does God care so much about um, authority? Um, not because we need an infinite amount of exercises in self-denial. Um, not because he wants to shield us from the responsibility of making hard decisions. And so he's put authorities to shield us so we don't have to make hard decisions. We just make easy ones. Then the authorities make the hard ones uh, for us. But I think the Lord cares about authority because he cares about people accomplishing hard things together that one person could never accomplish alone. And so it takes a group of people coordinate, coordinated together by leadership. Okay, let's try to go through um, those five different kinds of authority that were all part of that girl's life, that lady's life um, that we talked about who lives in Colossae in the first uh, century and who was saved at an early age, and so on. Um, and let's start. Uh, let's go through these five different kinds of authority that God has called her to submit within the scope of each of these um, authorities. And um, let's start with the two outlier liars, um, outliers in that they're different from what I've been talking about. Um, the first is 
parents and children. Children obey your parents. And uh, basically, you can take all that I've been saying and and uh, throw it out the window for children and parents, uh, because the purpose of parents' authority is exactly to protect people from making hard decisions who are not ready to do that. A child. <laughs> a child is not ready to make hard decisions. The purpose of parental authority is to shield the child from making uh, decisions that the child, it, it is to export responsibility, you know, to outsource responsibility. Um, a child does not and isn't, isn't really expected to have the wisdom to know when to get up, when to go to bed, who to talk to, who to not talk to, strangers, um, what, to, what to eat. Um, uh, a child is not expected uh, to do that. And so the purpose of parental authority is actually to shield the child from those um, decisions. I don't think that's the purpose of the other kinds of authorities for adults is that, you know, we'd remain perpetually children under authorities. I don't think that's why God has put so many authorities uh, in our lives, but uh, it is certainly the purpose of parental authority for um, children. A wise man told me recently, it was Tim Copper, that um, a lot of people uh, raise their kids backwards because, um, a lot of explaining is going on to uh, toddlers, you know, explaining reasons. And then when their children get to be teenagers, they don't give them uh, explanations anymore. They just give them consequences. And uh, he says, you know, they've, they've got it backwards. A young child just needs to be told to do this, you know, do this. You don't need to know why. Do it because mom said so. Do it because dad said so. That's it. Um, not, well, let me tell you why. Let me explain it to you so you understand uh, all of that. And then as the child grows older, uh, there needs to be less of that and more of, well, why are we doing it this way? I, I want to explain to you. I want to engage your mind. I want to prepare you to get ready for adulthood, where you're actually going to be responsible for making decisions for yourself um, and even for submission among adults, which is a little different from uh, submission for children. So, um, the purpose for parents and children, I think, is different from what I've been talking about. It actually is to shield the person submitting from having to make hard decisions. A second type of um, authority that's, that, uh, that's important to God, he has commands in Scripture about it. It's also a little bit of an outlier to what I'm talking about, is slavery. Slavery. And I haven't quite figured this one out. Um, and why scripture says what it has. And I can't think of any sort of grand purpose of people working together that pertains to slavery. Um, I've looked at the Old Testament. There's kind of a, a benevolent form of slavery that's in the Old Testament Israel. It's very benevolent. Actually, I, I learned this recently. Um, you were not allowed to return a fugitive slave. So if a slave ran away and settled somewhere, the people living there, they're not allowed to return that slave. And so some have argued that that made all slavery in Old Testament Israel voluntary. Because if it was really bad, you could just flee and nobody could return you to um, to your slave. So anyway, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a benevolent form of slavery. The master had a lot of obligations. It was temporary for Israelites. And actually, there were kind of two tracks, one for Israelites where it was kind of like a safety net, and then one for... Um, like prisoners of war, where it was more perpetual. And so I think the purpose for slavery was actually, in, in the way that God sanctioned it, was to be a preferable substitute for destitution and poverty 
um, on the one hand, for Israelites or for death for uh, prisoners of war, that instead of being killed, uh, they would be sort of prisoners of war serving their time as um, slaves. So it was sort of, um, I, I don't think there's some grand purpose, but I, I think it was sort of to mitigate um, either extreme poverty on the one hand or the death of someone who ends up being a prisoner of war um, instead. Um, and I, there's a lot that could be said about slavery. Let me, let me just say um, 1 Corinthians 7.20. Let me read this part. Um, Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So um, interesting. You know, he says if you if you are a slave and you're saved, it's it's don't don't uh, knock yourself out trying to become free. But if you can do it, it's better uh, to be free. Um, he says if you're free, there's a command here: do not become a slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of uh, men. And uh, it's interest. That's an interesting command to me for a couple of reasons. Um, I can't imagine the Lord saying that about any of the other forms of um, authority. Um, if you can help it, don't become a citizen of any nation. No, you don't find that in Scripture. If you can help it, don't become a wife, because then you'll, then you'll be under your husband's authority. Uh, or don't belong to a church, because then you'd be under an elder's authority. But he does say that about slavery. Don't become a slave. If you can help it, if, if there's anything... Um, that you can do to uh, prevent it, do not become a slave. So it's not a it's not a a sanctioned by God form of authority for a, a grand purpose, an important purpose, um, uh, like uh, some of uh, the others. And then the other thing I'd point out about that command, don't become slaves of men, is that uh, freedom means something to God because He talks about it here. He gives a command uh, about it. Um, freedom means that you're not a slave. That's that's at least a negative definition for freedom. And so I just uh, point that out. Um, freedom um, is not an invention of man. It's not a secular idea. It's found in the Bible. Um, the Bible says if you're a free person, don't become a slave. So um, slavery, it's a bit of an outlier for uh, um, the, the um, kind of authority that I'm uh, speaking of. Okay. Um, government authority, government authority serves an important purpose and it serves a purpose that you can't do alone. You need to be on the same page with others in order to accomplish the purpose of government. Um, and it's good to go back to the book of beginnings and, uh, the beginning of human government before the flood violence prevailed on the earth. That's why the flood was sent after the flood. The Lord instituted something new to restrain um, violence, and it is human uh, government. And he gives, in, in very short um, order, the purpose of human government, which I, I believe traces out the scope of the government's authority um, as well. He says, Surely I will require your life for blood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man. From every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. 
for the, in the image of God, he made man. So um, God's purpose for government is not that government would own you. It's actually that government would protect what you own. And they protect what you own by punishing with the sword or with shedding blood um, here um, those who take what is not theirs of your uh, uh, belongings, starting with your blood. That's the most important thing he talks about here. Whoever shed man's blood, that is something that belongs to you, your blood, uh, by man his blood shall uh, be, be shed. And so that's really the purpose of government. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone until you have to band together with a group of people and there has to be an authority there and so that everybody can be on the same page and doing the same thing. And that is really the beginning of um, government. Um, people have been talking about civilization collapse, the possibility of it of, of all sides of, of the political spectrum. doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it means that we're living through difficult times. Um, as you all know, but I've, I've heard from every person that I've heard talking about this, even if they're very enthusiastic about guns, um, you and your gun is not going to be enough. If civilization collapsed, you're going to need a community. You need basically a neighborhood watch. And so it's, they're talking about sort of what our founding fathers talked about, the state of nature, and then government comes out of that. You have the consent of the government. They make a contract. Um, together, that was not just a thought experiment for them. That actually happened in parts of the country in um, the Rev American Revolution, where there was kind of no governing authority and people had to band together. They did exactly that. They banded together and uh, made sort of like a, a neighborhood um, watch uh, sort of um, situation. So uh, in order to accomplish the task of government, which is to protect what belongs to persons, their blood, first and foremost, their life, their property, um, that sort of thing. You need to be part of a group effort, and that's what um, government and government authority is for. So that's a, a little bit just about the purpose of government, which might give um, some help in understanding the scope of government authority um, as well and what it's, it's for. It's for a good purpose, um, and government authority is good. And uh, the command to submit is good and part of the life of discipleship. Um, marriage. Marriage. Why did God um, put this lady under um, an authority in her marriage? She's married uh, to a man at some point, but also with an obligation to submit to him, an obligation to submit to his leadership. Um, well, this is a team of two. This is a team of uh, two. The purpose is not so that she can make better decisions than she would if she were um, a single lady for her life. Um, she might or might not make uh, better, wiser decisions um, single or uh, married. The purpose also is not just to have a way to um, resolve squabbles so that he can have the final say and that's a you got an umpire anytime you got a, uh, a dispute uh, in that way. I think there's a, a larger purpose for why there's authority in marriage is because marriage has a calling to do more than either could do alone or more than either could do even together, just resolving squabbles between them, but not being on the same page uh, 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 
together. Um, and so the purpose is not just to navigate disagreements successfully, but than that act separately. Um, the purpose is to be pulling together on the same page, um, doing more together than either can do um, alone. And so um, there's a purpose to marriage, and I would even say an outward purpose to marriage. Scripture talks about Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, it's to seek godly offspring. That's obviously um, uh, a main part of um, the purpose of why marriage needs to be a team pulling together uh, under a coordinated authority of a husband who's responsible not just to have his way, but to provide leadership for accomplishing the purpose together of, uh, of marriage. Um, not all couples have children. So I guess you could say they're the you could have um, spiritual offspring or, or, or simply just be uh, seeking first the kingdom of God together, better together as a married couple uh, than each would do um, uh, alone. So um, authority is in marriage because there's a, there's a calling to uh, marriage that is important to the Lord. And it's, it's a difficult calling. It requires coordination. It requires two people acting together as a team. Uh, together. Um, the submission that's given is not unthinking um, for wife. In fact, it's not for any of these uh, kinds of uh, authorities. Um, in a tense situation, um, an authority might ask for unthinking authority. You know, I'm thinking of like a military situation, you know, like what's going on as they're fighting in these tunnels in Gaza. They need to be the authority needs to be able to say to a person do this and do it now do it without thinking because they're in a really tense time oriented um situation but even in that situation it's going to help the person who's supposed to submit to that if he understands the purpose of what they're doing is to understand why that sort of unthinking um submission is uh, demanded and uh, normally Normally, there's not that kind of time constraint and that kind of urgency. So the submission is is never to be um, unthinking um, submission, but is to be, um, you know, the wife helping the husband think through what the, what he's asking her to submit to, helping him helping him to lead um, as well. Though he certainly has a responsibility to lead and she to submit, and that's an important uh, thing uh, for that. Okay, and then the final kind of um authority it's it's uh in place for the lady that we're our hypothetical lady from the first century it's church authority elder um authority why has god placed elder authority in her life why did he do that um and while you're considering that i'll just point out in passing that this command to submit to elders in scripture is always plural Submit to, we didn't read, but Hebrews 13, 17, which says, submit to and obey your elders, plural. And it's to obey them as a, a, a group. So the authority of elders is like ingredients in a cake, you know, and you're not, you're not um, commanded to submit to any of the ingredients by themselves, but you are commanded to submit to the whole cake. Um, and so are the elders, actually, who are ingredients, part of making decisions for leadership, but as when the leadership makes a decision, actually individual elders are commanded to submit to that as well, even though what what results from that whole process might not be their first choice, isn't their first choice. And yet when it's when it's uh, a decision for what everybody's supposed to be doing uh, together, the elders themselves submit uh, to that. So the idea of, well, I submit to this elder, 
but I don't submit to that elder. Is actually sort of meaningless for what we're called uh, to do. Actually, you're not called to submit to any elder individually. You're you're called to submit to the elders um, as uh, a group. So, and the elders are too, as individuals, to submit to the leadership of the group. Like I said, a good leader is a good follower, uh, a good follower of understanding uh, that um, uh, as well. So, um, why? Church authority. Why church authority? Why has God put elder authority in the life of this Christian lady, Christian girl, um, that we've been talking about? Why has God put elder authority um, in your life uh, as well? To help you make better decisions individually? Maybe, maybe you know, you can get counsel from the elders. That's good. But they're going to be acting not as your authorities for that, just as your counselors. They're going to be uh, acting as um, counselors. The hint should be that you're under elder authority, that in this group of people, you're called to do something that you really can't do alone, and you need to be coordinated with others uh, to do that. So uh, this is really true for um, any situation in which you find yourself called to submit, commanded to um, submit. What should go through your mind is not, well, okay, I've got, I've got uh, opportunity to practice self-denial. That's the point uh, of this. Uh, what should go through your mind is not, okay, well, I'm in a situation where others are going to be making my decisions for me. I can turn my mind off because I'm not responsible for what happens um, anyway. No, what, what, should, what should go through your mind when you're in a situation where you're commanded to submit, and God likes to put us in lots of these situations where we're commanded to submit to human authorities, is I'm involved in a task that I could never accomplish alone. So I'm going to need to um, uh, work with others and not just in proximity to others who have kind of the same idea, but be coordinated with others who are going to be under the same leadership. And that's important to the Lord. So I want to end where I began um, with the Lord calling Peter and uh, Andrew to be fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. And let me say that that, that to be fishers of men, they, they understood something about the figure of speech that he was talking about. Um, to be fishers of men sounded just as daunting to them, just as shocking. They're just fishermen. They're fishermen. They're working with their nets here. They're not salesmen. You know, they're not, they don't work with people uh, in that way. And so, okay, I'm going to be fishers of men. Um, sounded just as daunting, just as shocking to them as it does to us. When you think, okay, I'm called to be a fisher of men. What does that look like for me uh, to be a fisher of men? Uh, one uh, perhaps hint in it is it's plural. I'm going to call, follow me, and I will make you, plural, together to be um, fishers of men. So it's a task. You can't really do it alone. You can't really do it alone to be fishers of men. You can do it together in a group, and that's why you're called into a group of people doing a task so difficult it's going to require actually leadership in order to accomplish this task, and that's why elder authority uh, has been given to the church as well. Okay, that's it. We're out of time, so let me pray. Father, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you, um, and we we pray that you'd give us insight into your word that we would... Um, investigate not just the, the commands of scripture, but how they reflect your character, how they reflect your desires, that we would know you better through the commands of scripture. Pray that you teach us um, what it means to submit 
um, because we're all called uh, to do that and uh, teach us to know you in that way. You teach us to be fishers of men um, as well and um, disciples of you that we would follow you and then become something we never imagined, become fishers of men. Um, and that uh, this commandment to submit, we, that we would see as part of that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.